0: Hi, hello and welcome. This is By All Means Necessary. I am your host, Maya, and this is a mini-sode. So, yet again, I'm doing, I'm quilting it, I'm making it, you know, into two different pieces. So, yet again, directing you to different kind of content that I make on the internet, and that is true detective tea. Why am I doing this? Well, I have planned everything differently. And then, (laughs) <laughs> the very last minute, actually, you will see that footage on the 7th of December. Because I have looked at the calendar while recording the one of the episodes, so it's live. it's live footage. And I have realized that yet again, November has tricked me, and it has five Mondays, and I was not prepared for that. So on Monday, you will have that case that I was teasing you all about. Um, And, I mean, it is a long episode anyway, so it makes sense. So it's like, okay, 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 let's dig into my content And uh, I'm going to play the latest True Detective T from the YouTube channel Maya Quit Her Office Job. So you can always follow me there. The link is going to be below and where to look or what to do. But the concept of True Detective T is truly so simple. So simple, I don't know why I didn't come out with it before. Basically, what I do is, um, what I do is I read this magazine that's called True Detective. It's obviously a true crime magazine. And this particular issue is from 1974. And it's only covering British crimes. And we all know British crimes are particular. They're strange, they're weird as shit. So this particular one that I released on Monday covers the crimes of John Christie at the Rillington Place in Notting Hill. And it's, again, one of the wildest, weirdest stories that is truly British and it has to be told. Because this guy created a death machine. And you're like, what the fuck is a death machine? And he has somehow managed to get people to voluntarily use it. The premise of the True Detective is that I only use the research from that magazine. And we comment on the... And we comment on the writing and I just again share 20 analogies that come to my head while reading this magazine. So let's dive into that for this mini-sode. And then I will see you, I'll catch you, I'll catch you next Monday for the one of the most disturbing cases. And yes, if you are watching this on YouTube, I'm channeling my own merch. You can get it. The links are below. Look at like this. I forgot how red suits me. Red suits me really well. Cool, I'm moving on. Uh, <laughs> completely not important. Let's, let's dive into the case of John Christie and uh, the murders at Rillington Place. If this was the spawn block, the block letters would appear showing 10 meltdowns later. They look close, but I, I think we just found you. Or, or have we? Or have we? Everything is a question mark today. Will I break down in five seconds? Will you break down with me? We have rejoiced here today. One meltdown after the next. To escape into a different universe. It's a brilliant universe. It's a true detective T universe, where I read a story and I comment on it, and we comment on the writing, we comment on the story, and all the information is from here, so it means I don't do any research. It's such a simple idea. I read it, and then I will you the story, and we laugh about some of the writing, because it was written in 1974. So, shall we? This one is famous. Like you probably have either heard about this guy or know how his face looks like. It's very Hitler's right hand looking face. It just looks like yeah, uh, he was the guy that would press the button for the gas. To, to be expelled in Auschwitz. And you might not know all the details about Christie's life. So, this is a story of John Reginald Halliday Christie. Have you heard about him? Look at this card. It's the mass murder of Rillington Place. The place in Notting Hill. I have only read two pages so far and uh, I am weirded out. Mostly, I don't understand some expressions, so we're gonna learn. You'll, you'll tell me what everything means in the comments. I might pull up a Google card as well. <laughs> Just because I don't understand some fashions. So, we're talking about John Reginald Holiday Christie, or better known as John Christie. The story starts at the Old Bailey, so it starts at the court, and it kind of allows us to who he is right now. So, he is kind of dressed up to outwardly look like, you know, decent folk, and it gives us a bit of an idea of his family life, being the sixth child of a carpet designer and a gentle, affectionate musician in Yorkshire Moor. The first page We come to the part that I just don't really understand. So it says, as a boy he kept to himself playing alone in his garden, frilled out in velvet and ruffles. Hmm. Google. Google, we need to consult Google. Frilled out in a velvet. Okay, this doesn't really help me much. So does that mean like he was dressed in one of those like velvety ruffled robes? Because if so, wow. Maybe Harry Potter is inspired on this guy as well. Do you know how many people, like, inspired, apparently, J.K. Rowling? I have read in one research that she was inspired by the Cray twins um, to portray, like, Voldemort Orwell, to have that part where nobody wants to say his name. Life. And then I covered the shoe fetish slayer again on the podcast, which was Jerry Brudos, and it said that that inspired, like, a new book. So, it's all a product of imagination, which don't Don't. Just don't read any further works from her. It's all cool. But then it says, at the age of 15, and this is why I hate that this thing is written in 74, because it tells me nothing. I need to, like, do Google searches, because otherwise I'm like, what the hell? So, at the age of 15, he apparently met a girl on the lark and suffered an embarrassment, which perhaps did much to condition his attitude towards women. So, I guess that that means he couldn't get it up, right? We are on the same page here. So, after he couldn't get it up, he was also a churchgoer, a boy scout, who attained the high strength of King's Scout. I have no clue what's going on. <laughs> it's like apparently that was something that was happening in the 70s, that you would say like, oh, he is a boy scout. People would be like, whoa. Boy Scouts, King Scouts—is that still a thing of the past? Because was it BTK that was also like sort of his son's coach, and was going with Boy Scouts like summer camp and shit, and used that as his alibi? Is that BTK? It's one of the serious killers. Is that still a thing? Still a thing in the U.S. or in the in the U.K.? We we learn we learn during this. It's mostly a learning experience. So drop me the comments below. Cool. So he got the first job as a clerk at the police force and you would be like, okay, that's great. That's going great, Christy. You get it. You grow a boy scout. But he was caught stealing and then he was sacked. So his dad was pissed on top of that and kicked him out of the house. And then, because this is all-time case, so he was called to the First World War. But something that I believe will be impressionable on young man Christy is that there was a mustard gas shell that burst close to him on the battlefield and he lost the voice from the blast and also was blinded for months by the liquid mustard solution. So this would be impressionable on, on the younger boy, Christine. Stop stop, Stop moving to Herbert the Pervert's voice. Stop it. But after the war, again, it seemed like maybe, maybe he, so he will turn his life around, you know. Usually people have these emotional events and they turn their life around. So he married Etel Simpson, but he he lied to her when he met her. He told her that he was a heir of a fortune in his native Yorkshire. And then she married him. She went to Yorkshire and then she realized that what he meant was that he is a postman and they're living in a rented out room. And she was like, okay. Why? Why do I? Why was I born this uh, early in the 20th century? <laughs> why wasn't I born in the 1990s? You know, like in the era when I could still move in move in with a guy first and then realize, like, that he has been lying to me and then decide not to marry him. But she was apparently loyal and faithful to him. And as this article teases, until the choking moment of death in their Shabby Notting Hill flat. A way to spoil it, man. A way to fucking spoil Sorry, it. So if it was spoiled for me, it has to be spoiled for you. Sorry. Moving on. The sentence to describe his character all through his life, Christie very quickly, very quickly mastered most jobs he tackled and then lost interest in them. I get it, mate. I get it. But you gotta find your passion. You gotta stick to something. There is something for everybody. For example, when he was a postman, he would get commendations for his efficiency. He was like a really great postman. But then he would steal money that people would send in other people's letters. And then they realized that and they're like, okay, yeah. You see how you were great, but then you were also a thief. So, we can't proceed with you on this post. So finally, because the teller was like, oh, he can't do even the job as a postman, so in 1924 she later dated him, and this is when he started picking up women. Now, if you can see the picture of this guy, you might understand why this would be hard for him to do. So, even though he was not a drinker, he would frequent pubs, he would go to Brixton and Battersea and you know, spill some pickup lines, like, whoa. Okay, like, hey, have you met me? Have I fallen from hell because I'm the angel of death? Something along those lines, no? Now this next sentence says, he was a T2 teller himself. Google, please. I don't understand anymore. I just don't. I don't understand. Do you understand? Let me know in the comments if you know all of these words. t teller, a person who never drinks alcohol. How was that? How? T2 teller. t Teetotaler. Teetotaler. Why? What word in that should have indicated to me that this is a person who doesn't drink alcohol? Oh wow, hey, there's a whole page. Teetotalism is the practice of promotion of complete personal abstinence from alcoholic beverages. There was a whole movement that started in Preston, England, in the early 19th century. Aren't you learning today? you learning so much. It's insane. So, of course, this wasn't working out for him as he planned. So, in May 1929, his current mistress had attacked him with a cricket bat and got him to serve a prison term because he assaulted her. I absolutely hate the way that this article is written. I'm so sorry if the person that has written this is like still alive and kicking and for some reason watching me doing this story. But it's just like, it's like, oh, as a surprise, once he left the prison, due to his reconciliation with Estelle, it's like, he came out from prison, he served this long, he reconciled with his wife, and this is what happened as a result of it. Break it down, present tense, don't hide it in a sentence, and then you read it, and you're like, this could have been said a lot simpler, people, in 1974, so... He went out of the prison, reconciled, went back to his first wife. Fuck knows what was going on through towel's head. It's, it's fine. I'm not judging her. She's a good woman. So, he's out. This guy gives them both a job at their household. So, he gets to work as the handyman and the chauffeur and she gets to work work as the cook and the housekeeper. So, cool. They're both working in the same household. It's great. Nothing better for reconciliation. However, Christy, of course, goes back to his cook ways and he repays the kindness by stealing the priest's car. So, after he managed to get away with this... Again, it just says after this escapade. Has he, he been charged for this? Has he not? What is going on? But after that, whatever the fuck happen, because I'm not researching this on the internet. I don't know. So, they move into Wellington place in Notting Hill. And it says, they seem genuinely happy. They took holidays together in Brighton and Blackpool, which means they were poor. Like, they weren't taking holidays abroad. They were going to, like, Brighton. Okay. Blackpool, even then, probably had a reputation for, like, crime and different, like, Yeah, mostly crime. Like, uh, the stories that I know about black women in the true crime world are dark, are just fucking dark. I notice, I notice problems that I have in myself in others. It's important to be able to identify them in others, but not in yourself. Mm -hmm. Therapy, therapy. Now, because he lived again during the fucked up time, he lived to witness the Second World War, of course. Because after the first, the second one came. So, he was called to serve in the military and they just questioned him, have you a good character? Of course, I have. He answered and then, obviously, they were overwhelmed. you know, it was the war. So, they were like, cool, let's trust him on this world because we have just extensively questioned him clearly. And they're just like, cool, you may proceed. You now serve in the war you know, serving the war. It's not like the first one traumatized you with the mustard gas. And now I get to this beautiful page. Christy became an eager beaver on his manner. (laughs) An eager beaver is like that thing that they teach you when you are learning English. It's an expression that you will never ever use. But yes, they have definitely taught me what an eager beaver is. And now, you will probably never use expressions with a word beaver in them, which is so terrible because beavers are great. Justice for beavers, justice for beavers. Apparently, he was assigned to serve somewhere here in London because he met the 22-year-old Ruth Margaret Fuerst. Fuerst, 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 and she was a pretty refugee from Vienna. Yeah, yeah, she's, she's Fuerst, yeah. I just love this article so, like, because again, the, the the writer of this also doesn't understand how Christie managed to pick up anybody. Because look at his face. So he says, many Britain's young men were away at war. It was thus easy to pick up a lonely girl, even for a queer little mug like Christie, meek, undersized, looking somewhat pathetic behind a park. Behind opaque spectacles, pathetic. This is like fucking Tom Felton is like Draco Malfoy. It's like he's you know, pathetic. He started this affair while uh while his wife was visiting like her family and stuff in Sheffield, and then it says, well, he received a telegram to say that his wife was coming home, and it was clearly time for him to return to respectability, as he, but sure, yeah, yeah. Now suddenly he's respectable again. Cool, cool. Like, we just move on. You never cheated. You're, you're not a respectable man again. This is how it works. Therapy. Whoever wrote this was just trying to get into people's minds. He was like, listen, so what he actually wanted to do, listen, this person wanted to understand the motive. So he looked for mistresses in their 20s so that he is superior over them, right? So... In Chris's mind. Now, now we are in Christ's mind. They didn't announce this to us, but we are in his mind. So, his urge stemmed from his awareness that few women had ever found him attractive. I love this guy. This guy is like, he's just foggy, man. He's foggy. They never guessed how superior he actually was, he reassured himself, beneath his mousy exterior. <laughs> Well, this guy saw the picture of him and was like, no, 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 this is my article for today. I'm roasting this man. Look at this man. I'm roasting this man. Writing an article, I don't care what he did. He could have had the petty ass crime writing five pages on this guy and just I'm gonna roast him in every other paragraph. He's gonna be like, yo, oh, look at his ugly ass. He ugly. But I love how he describes Then he started dreaming about the idea to kill 10 women. It came out of nowhere. It was like, no, 10. 10 is the number. I kill 10 women. And you remember how I told you that had gas and mustard gas thing from the First World War is gonna come into play? Well, I think that's what heavily had influence on what's to come. Plus, maybe he heard about Auschwitz, you know, it was Second World War again, fuck it. But this guy says that in his boyhood he had also acquired some medical knowledge through membership of an ambulance brigade and the first aid work and he had some fluency in medical terms and a bedside manner. Just imagine seeing him like next to you, like bedside manner, you're like, but you aren't me you ain't B. Jordan, I don't want to be treated by him. So, in secret, in his home, he devised an inhaler, which was a devilish death machine. This was a glass jar, about four inches square and four inches tall, with a screw-down metal cap in which Christie had punched in two holes. So yes, this is like the creepiest movie thing, where somebody kind of pushes like a keyhole and then they watch you through it. But he did that with a jar and with an inhaler. And then obviously he would plug like one thing through the wall and then just push like this. What was it? Push this balsam, which was a common inhalant for colds, and the patient would just be inhaling the fumes from the jar. Obviously, initially he was kind of displaying it as like, oh yeah, it will cure your cold, it will like clear up your, you know, your nasal and breathing pathways. So what he did to Ruth, his mistress, is like he kind of placed her, you know, like how you would put like towel over your head and like kind of inhale like warm water, like if you have like really bad fluid and you kind of want to like get it all out. Yeah, that was his practice, except that he would put deadly gas through, the tank. And, obviously, it was masked by this balsam thing. So, like, this you couldn't decipher the smell. And, after a while, you're dead. You, you don't even decipher the smells no more. He technically killed you in the weirdest way possible, may I add. So, like, he's literally there, like, oh, it's just a bad sign, man. It's like, let's clear your nasal pathways. But, like, I'm not sick. Let's just do it precaution-wise. You know, listen. If you're a mistress out there, Never get yourself in those situations where you are suddenly covered with a towel, inhaling something. Your only a couple of months in a relationship with, who is also cheating on his wife, has imposed onto you. Do, do, just don't do it. Just don't. You... you just, no. It's like you're already stress. Cool. I forgive you for that. You, you just need better judgment. It, it only took half a minute and then when they were powerless, he would just like flip her over the shoulder and then buried her in the garden. Because at this point he has, he has listened to mine how to get away with murder episode and he just knows If you have a property, does he have a property at this point? Okay, he was just dumb listening, but yeah, if he had a property for all of his life, yeah, there was a greater chance that this woman slash body Would not have been discovered for the longest time because it's his property. Was it his property? This article is in Clarifony, shit. Then he went to work at a radio factory, which I suppose is a factory that produced radios. Again, correct me if I'm wrong. It's great. This article is amazing. He met 32-year-old Muriel Eady, who is a pretty brunette and we don't know much about her, but we know that she visited him at the Wellington place and she has met the same. Destiny and she ended up in the garden. His own words now. We have some interviews. Somebody am interview this guy. A dead woman is so helpless. Even the next day, it makes you feel superior. Oh, this cunt, you just know he had a small dick. It's so sad. She can't argue. Whatever you do, there's nothing so submissive as a dead woman. I mean, that is correct. But then again, you can just be like, hey, I like to be dominant, so you be submissive. that That's just how life works, but... <laughs> This guy invented the weirdest method of killing. For just to compensate for the fact that she, he didn't want her to tell the world how he had a small win and how he was actually ugly and she was just pitied him. Yeah. Then a completely pointless sentence that was too long but I just love it. So dramatic. Nothing so submissive to the unholy desires of a smirking fiend like Christie who ravishly tricked him, whom he strangled after guessing her into helplessness. Does it tell you anything? No, it just tells you this guy fucking hated his face. Just hated his life. So, yeah, he was just pissed off. Cool. I, I feel you, sir. I feel you. For the next five years, he wasn't involved in any other killings. But then, this article suddenly reveals that he has actually killed his wife and then in questioning for him killing his wife they have asked him Had there been any other killings and he's like hey maybe i have done so because i have opened this studio where i learned young women to pose for me in the nude pretending he was a photographer which is just disgusting <sighs> And then it says whether any of these met the faith of Ruth and Muriel, no one will ever know. But what is the point? Why do we have so much more here? What the fuck did he do? Then there is this whole occasion which just confirms how evil Christie was. At the Willington place, he at some point got neighbors and he was so pissed off by that, that he himself killed the wife and the kid, the infant daughter, while the husband, Timothy Evans, was outside. But what Christy, you know, so good-natured, went and told him that he was like, listen, I have heard you had a quarrel, you know, I have heard you argue with your wife. So, like, I would advise you try to run for it because the police is going to be super suspicious. First of all, you're the husband, right? So, they'll look into you first. But then also, like, you had a quarrel, that's, like, super suspicious. And then uh, he probably went to the police and long so, uh, he had the quarrel, like, look into him. And obviously, because this was... 1940s, what is it at this point? Of course, they were gonna send this poor guy to the gallows pretty quickly. There was no, like, appeals and shit. They were like, no, you killed a child and your own wife. Sorry, that pretty much guarantees you a spot at the gallows. He just shoved his neighbor under the bus. So, that you everything you need to know about Christie. Christy also didn't have great reputation with other neighbors because he was a pervert as we kind of figured out But there was this woman that was kind of friends with his wife at the time and the wife kind of confided like Hey, I kind of suspect my husband in this murder. And she was like, no, that's fine it's Silly like you might be just jealous and shit, you know, he wouldn't have done that But then he started asking this neighbor to pose nude for him in the studio and she was like, okay He's actually a fucking creep she refused and then he started just stalking her. She would see a pair of glowing eyes in the dark and she would be like, oh fuck, what did I get myself into in this situation? Why do I live here? It's not nothing here. It's supposed to be like a great place where Hugh Grant and Julia Roberts play a role in a movie, eventually in the future, and I can time travel and I have seen it. And soon a couple of things happened. Luckily for this woman, she moved out the neighbor. Unluckily for his wife, she didn't divorce him and she just stuck to him, but it was said that by the end of his life she has kind of started to resemble Christie in certain ways and she also became very neurotic. So this article says that their kitchen came to resemble a chemist shop with the array of vials and pill bottles. And it was really unknown why this escalated to this degree. Chris's health also started deteriorating. So people speculated whether it was that, whether it was actually that he didn't reach his goal of killing 10 women. He was like, well, at least this would make one more woman. And that woman ended up being his wife. So yeah, in 1952, he strangled his wife and later buried her beneath the floor like 10 days before Christmas. What is this guy's December? What is his Christmas time? You should be buying gifts for your wife. Nope, he's like strangling, burying you beneath the floor. Also, you're in an apartment complex. This is gonna smell just so dumb. So ugly and so dumb. Like what? What, what is a good feature of this guy? Give me, give me one good personality trait. And then he went, obviously, into the 1950s pretense of, you know, she is still alive, I'm sending letters in her fake handwriting to to friends and family. Well, actually, he used her own handwriting in the letters, but he would just change the date on the top of the letters. And then he was like, oh, they would expect her to write more. So he started pretending he is receiving letters from her because she has left up north. So he is receiving telegrams from her. But then he also forged her handwriting to withdraw the slip of the motive account of about 10 pounds in the post office. Man, just imagine that 10 pounds at some point was like a decent amount of money. Wow. And then it's like something snapped in his brain. He was like, no, I need to get to that digit that I'm setting my fucking brain just myself for 10 women. 10 women is who I need to learn into this. Then he met Kathleen Maloney in the Paddington pub. He got her a few drinks. It's not funny, but why why is this text so hilarious? He says, later took Kathleen home with him for a session with his death machine. It sounds like this is gonna be some crazy thing where like, you know his dick is the death machine and like he's gonna blow her brains out and that would mean that. <laughs> nothing is good. Nothing. There's nothing sacred no more. I cannot have a wholesome experience in my life, now. And Harris was the first body placed in the alcove of the kitchen. What the fuck is an alcove? Google. Ah, fuck it. Can't be asked. Awesome. So then he met Rita Elizabeth Nelson, who was a pretty 24-year-old from Northern Ireland. But she came here carrying an illegitimate child. So, she worked as a waitress in the cafe in Shepherd's Bush. And then he started chatting to her and like also playing to his ego, of like, hey, somebody did a sketch of me and I'm hanging in this pub place. And then like he started chatting her up about her sketches and eventually she ended up going to the Rillington place. I just want to understand how he managed to convince all of the women to do this. This is our first date, right? This is really gonna clear your nasal pathways and then i don't know it's gonna make you better at making out or something what is your place sir how how do you explain this to the women it's like hey it's your first day hi hello nice to meet you we're not gonna make out we're not gonna like sleep together no no, no. here's this machine put a towel over your head has have been a psychopath because he had nothing else going for him so he must have had some good sick talk she became corpse number two in the cubby hole what are these things wait I phone what was it so far? Alcove, and then one was alcove, right? Alcove? Alcove, a recess in the wall of a room or garden. Alcove, alcove. What was the other thing? Cabbyhole. hole. A small enclosed space or room, so he's putting them inside the walls technically. Cabbyhole, hole. Oh, next name. Hectorina McLennan. Wow, Hectorina was a Scottish brunette of 25 and she was married to a scar sergeant. Wow, but she was unable to join him in the Far East because she could not get a medical permit to travel here. Okay. Oh we, we have a conversation guys we have a conversation so Hectorina right she has two children and they were with the father in Scotland but she preferred the lights of London. What the fuck is this writing? Okay, so anyways, she's in a shop window for some reason and then a man sidled up for whatever that means, he probably creeped up behind her. Cool. He said, You seem to be looking for a flat. She said, a small one with no place at all to go. He said, I'm leaving London. My place is to let. And soon enough, you guessed it. She is back at his, at the pretext of staying there. And then he does the same thing, convinces her to inhale the freaking balsam. And she will be the last guest to try the fatal deck chair and the soothing friar's balsam. And she was also placed in the tubby hall thing. Now because we established that he's not the smartest person in this in this room, he decides to sublet, which also he didn't have like a permit to do. You can't just like sublet the thing. The place that you're already renting out yourself. So he decides to sublet it to this Irish couple and then he tried to convince them that the, the actual the stench they're feeling right now. It's like so he knew in his head that they're going to soon discover what the fuck he's been doing and the, their bodies in the walls. But he's like listen, the stench is because of the dogs and the neighbors who spit on the stairs. That's exactly my cover story, the cover story that I would use. The stench that you feel. The stench of the body smells between raw fish, from what I read like how those chemicals smell, and like actual shit. So it's like the nastiest smells that you can feel in the world. He's like, no. Spit, you you see, you've never smelled your own spit. You don't know what your spit smells like? It smells like that boy. But then, on Tuesday, March 24th, 1953, this West Indian born, because that's important, there's Wood Brown, who was supposed to move into this flat, right? So he went in before moving in to clear this place out. And so he's in the kitchen and he realizes that's where the strongest smell is. He's like, okay, Also, I think he advertised, Christy advertises dumbly again, there's going to be like an extra cabinet and it wasn't there suddenly. And he's like, okay. So he moves around and finds a space, this cubby which was kind of roughly covered with like a wallpaper. There was clearly like somebody just roughly doing DIY. And well, soon enough, he realized that there is just bodies that were apparently sitting up staring at him. Therapy for life. The police was called and they discovered that the bodies were dead for varying lengths of time. So, some for three weeks and some for nearly three months. They realized that they have all been strangled. So, the monoxide thing, so there was carbon monoxide poisoning in each of them, but because he was a sicko, that wouldn't even kill them. So, He would just get off on, like, the effects of it, and then, once they were unconscious, he would actually strangle them. You you thought that was bad. You thought that was bad. Moreover, the Dr. Louis Nichols, director of the Metropolitan Police Laboratory, said there was evidence of sexual intercourse with each woman immediately before, during, or after death. So, he was a necrophile as well. Just a cherry on the top cherry on the top. And of course, the walls are falling in because the Christie's have been the only people living there for the past 15 years and suddenly he moves out. And also, where is his wife? Oh, but he has heard of her for months. And the detective was like, well, you see, with his wife, I genuinely don't think that she's near home. I feel like she's more near like this home that she shared with Christie and sure as hell, they keep tearing the place apart. They keep, they keep digging and they find a the tell. And then this article says, so, on her there was no evidence of sexual intercourse near the time of death, indicating that hers had not been a murder of perverted passion as were the others. She was just his wife, but the mistresses are the perverted passion. Everybody's wrong, nobody ever wins. Listen. Again, any chance that he says, so now he's like, okay, so listen, everybody was oblivious, like, everybody thought this could be impossible, because he was... Christy was such a mousy little chap, standing no more than 5 feet 6. Nothing, miserable. He was of slight build, with his hair graying in the fringe bordering the high, bald dome of his head. Like, disgusting. Like, cannot be any more disgusting if he wanted to. He dressed quietly and modestly. His suits only cut above poverty, but always neatly pressed. He's trying. He's really poor. He, he's trying, though. He, he's trying. <laughs> It's like, let's just, let's just go back to the point where he, we said how ugly he was, how mousy he was. Mousy. So Christie, in the meantime, actually managed to stay in a hotel, but then obviously his face made it to like the front page of the papers. So he later day the hotel and disappeared. And in that meantime, Scotland Yard is identifying all of the victims through fingerprints. Then they obviously were like, hey, look at this garden, look at these flowers. I wouldn't put it past this guy. And then they dig everything up and they discover Muriel, Edie, roof first. So he was recognized and brought to the police station. And at first, of course, he lied and he told that he was doing this in self-defense, but then he later owned up to it and was like, well, I'll tell you as many facts as I can remember. Rough, you know, it's, it's just a rough account. It's not like I had this whole machine planned and I was Pulling them into it, like making all these weird excuses to get people to use it. No, definitely not premeditated or anything. But for you to best perceive his character, he said that his wife's killing was a mercy killing. I I love those people. I love them. I love angels of death. I just like They're just so interesting. So triggering. He had awakened. To find her choking, her face turning blue, he saw a sleeping tablet bottle with 23 pills missing. Wow, very... What, did you count them? Did you like then stop He's it. like, okay, she's choking. Let me just count how many pills are missing out of this. That's quite a particular fact to remember after all that time, but sure, yeah, don't report it either once you do the mercy killing yourself then. Then he loose the stocking around her throat and killed her to hasten her death, so... That was beautiful and so kind of him. Also, I don't know what the hell they were thinking but remember Beryl, the neighbor that he has also killed and then had an innocent man being sent to the gallows. Yeah, people should actually own up to that and be like, hey, it's actually just posthumously say that you have been innocent, yeah? No. I think, like, his defense team thought maybe if we show this as a mercy killing, like, they're actually gonna think maybe he's insane and maybe that actually saves his life, right? Well, that was a shite decision because, of course, he doesn't appear, like, to be remorseful or anything. he's like, I mean, it was a mercy killing fuck my life. Christie is like, listen, say no more. Barry Levins, yeah, I did find her on the floor, unconscious, suffering from the inhalation of gas in a suicide attempt. Again, a very awkward thing for somebody to commit suicide that way. Sure, Christy, whatever you say. So he revives her, but then later she begged him to help her to die, promising her anything, telling him like, I promise you anything you want in return, you have it. Which he took to mean sexual advancement. Yeah, sure. This is, this is the last man that she wants to sleep with before she dies. (laughs) Of course. Logic. So, they asked him, did you have intimacy? And he said, no, I could not get down because his fibrositis, he explained, prevented much activity. So, again, he couldn't get his little wiener up. Disgusting. And then he explains how he killed her with a gas pipe, again, mercifully, and then he strangled her with a stocking couple of steps in this mercy killing that was just on a whim. I genuinely think something snapped in his brain when he was like... Because when he didn't actually expect for them to continue with that. So they were like, okay, well, she was not fine there. She was found wrapped up and corded in like a different place in the wash house. And he was like, oh, I actually have no idea about that. They're like, okay, what about the baby? Have you killed the baby? He's like, no. And he just kind of probably looked to the jury like, okay, he didn't really think this part, who did hit this fucking son of a gun? And then he explained to the judge that he lied because he didn't want to be implicated in the infant's murder, you know? He didn't have anything to do with that, clearly, to everybody mm-hmm. in his head. And about his wife, he said he put her to sleep and then he just started weeping. So his defense, again, is like, I mean, look at him. He's clearly insane. No no sane man would have said this, would have done this. But the prosecution said that he was nothing... He was a little more than a ham actor in court. Google. Where's my phone at this point? Okay, wow. I love how Google answers my shit. An actor who is overly theatrical. Oh, that makes sense. But why is it called a ham? He does such a bad job that the audience ends up laughing. The word is frequently used in everyday context to refer to someone who likes to draw attention. Why is it called ham? Originally, the word was ham fatter, meaning actor of a low grade. Had been linked to an old minstrel show song, The Ham Fat Man. that dates from 1863. Nothing makes sense in this fucking life. Okay, cool. He was a ham actor. You have learned an expression actors, people in the industry, do you still use it? Probably not. Cool. So the jury only took one hour and 22 minutes, wow, so specific, to find him guilty as charged. And finally they sort of answered the question that we have all had, like, will Timothy Evans get a pardon? And well, yes, people have apparently protested in Parliament about the Evans case, saying how the British justice, always stern and swift, had been too hasty and too carefree of the life of a defenseless man. But it will be years before he was pardoned. i doesn't even say what year. What is what, the problem? Answer all my questions so I don't have to google shape. However, Christie, of course, was not pardoned in any way shape or form. Nope. 1953, July 15th, they did not waste no time. You, would, you would go straight to the gallows. You don't have time to appeal. No, you're dead. You're dead man. This portrayal. Dialogue with the writer was at Lisa. I'm finishing off. There's a couple of paragraphs. Let's have another shade moment of Christie. So the frail little clerk who from his prison cell had written of his dream of overpowering ten women in death, who had boldly compelled his, uh, compared himself with notorious multiple murderers, Gordon Cummings and John Hay. Remember John Hay? I covered him on The Last Meal's Watchhead. If you haven't yet, it's a wild story as well. Now shrank back from his own doom, trembling with fear. <laughs> I'm just gonna dramatically read this because I love it so much. Two husky warders seized him by the shoulders, and Christie was trotted to the scaffold. Outside, a crowd of 150 men and women surged forward to read the black execution notice when it was posted. Wait, if I continue reading dramatically, let's that, not disappoint. The last paragraph. you cannot disappoint. He, doubtless, would have shocked John Reginald Halliday Christie's vanity greatly had he been able to read the newspapers that afternoon. He got a mere two care <laughs> got a mere two paragraphs, a skimpy 30 words beneath a paltry headline. Wow, make uh, mic drop and stuff. Yeah, that's it. That's how you end up article. Listen, nobody wins this guy didn't win. Uh, you're not winning for listening to this story, but that was, uh, that was something. Eight people? So he almost managed his goal of 10. I guess set yourself some better goals in life. And uh, just uh, if, if ugly, try to play to like other, other skills. Find like, you know, a personality trait that you can exploit. Done it. I done it. I didn't have that in the past two hours. That is my success of the day. What is yours? I might, I might just explode five minutes after finishing this, but hey, I have done it. I have turned this day around. It's all great. It's all positive on the horizon. But until the next one, make better decisions than the British murderers in the eighteen hundreds, it's really not that hard. And also if you write articles just in general covering true crime, make sure people understand what you mean. Make sure you're not like hiding information in them like in the middle of the sentence. Just like this is a sequence of events. But until you you do that and until the next video. I have nothing else to say and nothing else to say. So this is a goodbye. Oh, bye. <laughs> Sexual redemption. Look at my dice. Look, look, look at how cute the dice is. Cute, cute, dicey, 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 dicey. Lost it.